the Carter Subaru Studios. This is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Good morning, Ursula. Ursula, you scrambling this morning. I am so <laughs> scrambling. Is it Friday yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, I'm telling you, work is different for me now. Uh, no, no, seriously. Here's why it's different. Is there ever a time, and I'm sure you're listening, like either A, you're getting off work and you can't wait for happy hour to hang out with your friends, or B, maybe you're waiting for the weekend, you can't, you know, you can't wait to get with your girlfriends or your guy friends and all that kind of stuff. Me is the opposite. Whenever I turn the microphone on, it's like my happy hour. Oh, it's like a get-together. Okay. It's the G and Ursula show. <laughs> okay, Ursula, what are we talking about today? Well, we have a very packed show. Yeah. The day I don't say that is going to be the day it's it, it's bad news. Uh, yeah. But, okay, coming up at 9.30 after Heather's newscast, yeah. state lawmakers are considering yet another bill that would give certain criminals a break. So we're going to do a deep dive into that. Yeah. We've got all sorts of stories. And we got something really special coming up at 9.47. 9.47. Look, I don't care what y'all are doing. You got to stick around because we're going to call somebody. Yeah. Is it going to bring a tear to my eye? Who knows? Okay. Okay. So 947, we're going to make a phone call and you guys are going to be with us. But right now, let's get to it. Top stories of the day brought to you by Way Scar 40 Zuzu in Auburn. Over a year after Seattle police officers patrol car killed a woman in a crosswalk, the King County Prosecutor's Office has decided not to file criminal charges against that officer. Their investigation determined there was not enough evidence to prove a criminal case beyond a reasonable doubt. Amy Friedheim runs the felony traffic unit at the King County Prosecutor's Office. Disregard for the safety of others is more than negligence. If somebody is negligent and causes the most catastrophic of consequences, it is not a felony in our state. And the courts have been clear about that. So just to rehash some of the details, Officer Kevin Dave was driving more than 70 miles per hour while responding to a drug overdose call when his cruiser hit 23-year-old Janavi Kandula in South Lake Union. And although he was going nearly three times the posted limit, Friedheim says state law allows for officers to exceed the speed limit when responding to emergencies. There was also no evidence that Officer Dave was impaired for driving or, or driving recklessly, which would have warranted criminal charges in a fatal crash. So my question is, are you surprised by this decision? No, and I agree with it. I agree with this decision right here to not criminally charge Officer Kevin Dave. All right. Again, you heard the senior deputy prosecutor and Amy Friedheim, and especially this quote right here. She explains that state law provides for police officers to exceed the limit when responding to legitimate emergencies. Officer Dave was responding to a 911 call of a drug overdose. No, none of us like what happened. And you know what? Even on the scene, Officer Dave, he did not like what happened. You can see that he was distraught. This is a very tragic situation. I also believe, Ursula, this situation has continued to be talked about, not because of Officer Dave, but because of Officer Daniel Otterer. That is the reason why this is so much in the news. So much so, and I'm glad that you made a difference. You had to make sure a distinguish, a distinguish between the fact of who it was. 
I saw on social media, people kept confusing yes. Audra and Dave as the same person. Yes. That's not the case. Well, a couple of other things that came up during the investigation that is now being revealed. One is, uh, so the King County Prosecutor's Office brought in independent investigators, um, and they reviewed the body and dash camera evidence, and it shows also, sadly, that this young woman may have been distracted and started crossing the street without noticing the oncoming police cruiser until it was too late. Again, not her fault, but there were a couple other people nearby who did see the cruiser coming and were able to stop, but it sounded like she may have panicked. They also found earbuds close by. And again, this this it's heartbreaking, and it's hard to hear that, and it's hard to feel like, wait a minute. I mean, the, the fact that he was going over 70 miles per hour Bad. in a 25 mile per hour zone. Bad. Right. But again, if you look at state law, it says mm. that there are exceptions that can be made in the event of responding to an emergency. I think I think the main reason and you guys, you guys are listening and you can text us and let me know if I'm wrong. The main reason that people are upset right now, really upset, is because of the audio with uh, Daniel Otterer well, and his that nasty audio. We want to be clear about that. Yes, and it, I mean it's taken the audio you're referring to in the event that someone hasn't heard of it. I would imagine most people have heard by now. But this was uh, this is just a little excerpt of one of the comments that Officer Dave made. During a conversation that he had with the president of the police union, Mike Solon, uh, during a phone call. Not Officer Dave. Excuse me, Daniel Otterer. Daniel Otterer made, yes. So, uh, and he had gone to the, Daniel Otterer had gone to the scene to determine whether Officer Dave was impaired. $11,000. She was 26 anyway. She had limited value. Okay, so the prosecutor... Lisa Mannion actually brought this up and said, you know, a lot of people are outraged, especially all around the world because of these comments. Mm -hmm. And uh, Officer Daniel Otterer is still potentially facing discipline. The the police chief is supposed to make that decision next week, next uh, month. But the prosecutor said that could not play into the decision going into other criminal charges as much as it was outrageous and got people very upset, you know, even more upset. But again, that could not play into the decision on whether whether to charge and, or not. And I agree. But just remember this. I, I, I want those that are listening that are in charge uh, over with SPD and all the way around. There is an understanding. I am saying I understand why there aren't criminal charges for Officer Kevin Dave. I'm going to say that. But when that happens and then there are mo- a lot of us that are expecting nothing to happen to Officer Daniel Otter and those nasty comments. So when you do those things back to back and you look at the history that happens over and over and over again, then you wonder why you have so mistrust by the community. And I know some of you guys take that time to say, oh, you guys are so upset with police officers. No, no, no. We're upset with very specific things. That happened over and over again. Right. Well, we might be able to understand from a legal perspective when provided explanation why there not, may not be charges. But as a human being, I think most of, of us look at this and say, if this was an Amazon driver, yep. if, if this was anyone going about the course of their day who did this, they would obviously be charged. 
And, and then to respond to an overdose call like that, they receive a lot of these every single day. Just a week ago, we were talking about officers who waited 20 minutes to respond to a shooting. And we're supposed to believe like this guy believed that there was such an emergent public threat. He was driving 74. Yeah. One of the things that will have to happen and maybe it will happen even more so as a result of this is that SPD needs to be much more clear in terms of when it is appropriate to speed, for what calls, uh, et cetera. And I know that that is going to be some of the focus that results from all of this. Okay, let's move on. In another blow to the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, Seattle is now taking back some of its money from that embattled agency. In an email last Friday, the authority was informed that the city's going to take back oversight of its outreach and homeless prevention contracts, making up about $11 million of its annual funding. The Seattle Times reports that amounts to about 10% of what the city actually provides the authority every single year. Seattle's Human Service Services Director Tanya Kim says this move is part of an effort to make sure that the money coming from the city's investments effectively address the needs of Seattle. So just for background, in the past, Mayor Bruce Harrell has clashed with the authority's leadership over how to deal with homeless camp removals. The mayor, of course, pledging that uh, during his campaign to keep the homeless camps out of streets, parks, and public spaces, which the authority criticized as displacement. But as you know, G, it's been a rough year for the regional authority, which now has its third CEO in nine months. The only way I know how to understand what's... Why why are you laughing? Because I know there's an analogy (laughs) built in here. (laughs) I can't help it. I can't can't help it. The only way that I understand how to do this, the this project was reminds me of a wedding and a marriage. Right. And everyone is excited about this marriage and everybody needs to jump on board and be invested into this marriage. And so you have married that person. You put them in their own house. Right. And then a few years later, you've gone to that person and says, hey, I need you to get out the house. And I'm going to cut your money. This whole thing, this is disaster. So you're telling the people, and by the way, there's a lot of people already, already feeling like there's so much money going out and nothing's being done, right? And so now, not only are nothing being done because it doesn't feel like it's getting better, you're basically telling us, yeah, this whole authority that we had... We're going to have three different CEOs, and we're going to cut some of their money and take some of the money away. So so then why do you still have the authority still there? What's the point of it? Well, the point was that it's not just a Seattle problem. It's a regional problem. And the point was to try to come up with a regional approach, although just say it's, not it's working. been so dysfunctional. It has been since the very beginning. The authority has had... Issues with mismanaged funds. I mean, once you start talking about that, it's like, okay. And then there was the collapse of the hotel shelter program. The uh, Regional Homelessness Authority abandoned its plan to eliminate visible homelessness in downtown Seattle. Remember that big promise? They never got close to reaching their goal. Because of all the issues that they've had. So you're in the philanthropy world, the big philanthropies and big companies like Microsoft and Amazon. Well, they initially all had all this energy and excitement surrounding, okay, we're going to just finally work together. Right. Well, because of all these problems, 
they're backing out. Was it just earlier this month the Seattle Times was reporting that we are in, that the group, so that was the group that uh, involves all these philanthropies, their staff, entire staff were either fired or furloughed because of financial and organizational mismanagement? I mean, what the heck? Ursula, and, and then I, I just want to know. What's that? What has the King County Regional Homelessness Authority accomplished? Could, can anyone rattle off anything? Okay. Well, before you, I, I got silent. Um, having three CEOs for this homeless authority deal reminds me of a man that has three different <laughs> wives in a lifetime. Right? Wait, is that you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that analogy didn't work. My bad. <laughs> that was that was a terror. That was a terrible analogy. All right, okay, go we're ahead. gonna move on. It's awkward. Gonna, oh, much more. Fun. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> It was awkward in here. That was not a good analogy. It was terrible. Okay, wait. Sorry. Let's get back to seriousness here. Don't don't text us saying I'm, I laugh too much. Uh, on a much more positive note, more than a hundred tons of trash has now been removed from encampments along I five near the university district. And state transportation department crews say twenty eight out of the thirty people living in the tents accepted shelter referrals. And Governor Inslee tells Como Four News his right of way initiative is working. If you drive up and down the I five corridor now, you're going to see a lot less homelessness than you did in a year ago. Okay, my question first. To all of you is, would you agree with that statement? Yes, I have. Would you agree? Yes, with the exception. No, of no, this don't v- give me no but. Well, just, yes, well, yes. No, there is an exception. <laughs> all right, with the exception of this stretch that we're talking about right now. But I did notice just two weeks ago mm-hmm. that they were addressing this I five stretch near the U district. Mm-hmm. So thirty two encampments along state highways have been cleared since the two thousand twenty two right of way initiative began. To the cost of about $150 million. Okay, you do the math. 32 encampments, $150 million. We've now sheltered now to house over 1,000 people. The governor, though, is now asking for another $100 million in funding to continue this program. But he's also encouraging every community to do their part in addressing our homelessness crisis. We need all communities to pitch in here. This is a statewide homelessness crisis. Everyone's got a pitch in. Every city, every suburb, big, little, small, north and south. Uh, Governor Inslee actually blasted leaders in the city of Kenmore, who, as I was you, wondering if you was going yes, there. Yes, yeah. yes, we talked about it. So mm-hmm. you remember they recently turned down that proposal to build a Plymouth housing facility after public outcry from residents who had concerns about increased crime and drug use. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I think Governor Jay Inslee is making it very clear. This is, but being serious, you don't have to like Governor Jay Inslee. That's fine. But I want to ask this. I don't want to make sure we're all on the same page. This, this homelessness crisis that we are dealing with, this is a problem for all of us. That is true. Okay. It so cannot just be. It can't just be Seattle, right? And yes. talking to you, Ken Moore, in the summer of 2022, when you guys agreed to hire Plymouth Housing for the more than $40 million project, you agreed to do that. And then all of a sudden, at the final hour, you want to say, oh, we thought that this was only going to support veterans and people with disabilities. So now you're picking and choosing the type of unhoused people that you want to help. 
Is that where we're going? Because we can't do that, and we just can't put that responsibility on Seattle. You know, the same place that they said that Seattle's dying. That's why maybe that that narrative got out there, because Seattle's dying, because Seattle's the only people that's helping. It's like your one friend's house that's always bringing in people who've gotten kicked out of their own house, and you wonder why their house is nasty. Their house is nasty because they're always helping other people. Mm. Yeah, I like... I agree with everything that Governor Inslee said. However, the the part that I am curious about okay. is 32 encampments to the cost of $150 million. I mean, that's like five, close to $5 million per encampment, if I do the math correctly. No, you, don't, don't, you keep asking about math. You know you don't look at me when it comes to math. There's a text that comes in from the 206, and I want to ask you this. This says homeless is mostly a Seattle problem. Do those listening right now, do you all believe that? Do you believe that homelessness is just a Seattle problem? And if you might do be more believe, visible in Seattle. But if you believe that, how how did you come to believe that? How did that happen? Yeah, I'm going to just tell you right now, it's not just a Seattle problem. But how do you? I, I don't but think I that think, either. I, I, but how I think do you think people much more visible? Right. So it's really easy. And, and I think that the, the general feeling is that services are much more available in Seattle, which makes sense. It's the biggest city. So when you have the Kenmores of the world coming out and telling people that we don't want to do this here. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Kenmore. When you have that happen, then that's when everybody starts to believe that it's only a problem in Seattle. It's good stuff kudos, so far. Kudos to Redmond. Redmond just approved it. Sure did. Shout out to Redmond. My brothers and sisters out there doing their business. Uh, Ursula, there's a lot of things to talk about at 930, so I don't know where you want to go. Well, we're going to talk about this bill that had me scratching my head this morning, and it would essentially remove crimes committed as juveniles from sentencing scores. Now, would you agree with that move? Text us at the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, cairo We'll have more after the break. show. Happy Thursday to all of you. As always, we invite you to join us on our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line 888-973-5476. So should crimes that you commit as a teen be eliminated from your sentencing scores if you commit crimes as an adult? A bill in Olympia would do just that, with the exception for murder and felony sex crimes. And this bill is getting a lot of pushback from certain groups, including the Washington Association of Prosecuting Attorneys. Russell Brown with that group tells Como 4 News this bill could reduce prison time for criminals convicted of very heinous crimes. So you could be taking years off a sentence for an adult who was convicted of a crime of murder or for a serious sex crime. King County Superior Court Judge David Keenan, though, was testifying in support of sentencing score reform. The judge shared that he actually went through the juvenile court system as a teen, as did his own mom. Yeah, she's a retired sophomore engineer now, and I'm a judge. It certainly helped us that we're white. Uh, but unfortunately, we've left people behind in prison 
mostly people of color who did not escape their juvenile court involvement to become engineers or to become judges. Okay, so now on the opposite view again, the the guy representing the prosecuting attorneys group, he estimates 6,700 criminal offenders could have their sentences reduced, which he argues could re-traumatize the victims. Individuals have been told or promised that here's here's what's going to happen. Go back now and undo that puts tremendous stress, puts tremendous harm. It, it oftentimes puts a victim in a place where they are re-experiencing that trauma all over again. Okay. So I gave you both sides with people Would you like supporting. To do- yes. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on this idea? Should your the crimes that you commit as a, a teen mm-hmm. be counted in terms, because we, we talked, we just talked about Did yesterday, you sentencing Did scores. you do it as a teen? Did you commit a crime as a teen? Did you commit a crime at 13? If you committed a crime at 13 and you commit another crime at 27 and you commit another crime at 30, 31, 35, 37, then what you did at 13 matters. Yes. Yes. And yes. Ursula, you know, okay, now, it's been the, four the, years. Ju- the judge himself did not sway you. No, the judge. Wouldn't the judge tell y'all? The judge, judge said that it, I ain't never met a black judge that's gotten in trouble as a, a juvenile as a teen and was able to become a judge. Well, he did he, point out that what did he yes, point out? He, he this judge said, well, okay, I, I recognize I'm white, but his <laughs> argument was that uh, that people of color are again disproportionately sentenced to longer sentences. So so essentially they're trying to write what they believe is a wrong. One of the things that I have been very guilty of on this show, right, is talking one way on the show and talking a different way in my house. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You, I, li- I totally understand. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. Because saying what you think. Yeah, because... because sounds good. Sound uh, right. Based, uh, then versus what really you feel. My kids... My household, yes. You I tell them. them the same way that my father told me. Yeah, don't what, do the crime. Don't do the crime. One of the biggest reasons why I personally, I can't speak for you or anybody oh, else. you can speak for me. Maybe, I, haven't, I haven't committed any crimes. Maybe you guys, religion, or maybe yeah. all these different things that prevented you from committing crimes. Yeah. I'm going to share my story. I was scared. Yeah, I was scared that if I commit a crime, I was scared of jail. And when I was growing up, they told us that when you were in jail, you only had bread and water. So I was under that belief that that's all you would have. Yeah. So I want to go back to this story and uh, this topic, and I'm going to be very serious with you. I think the problem that we are having today is I think some of these young men and young ladies that are out here that are doing these things – I think that they think that once I turn 18, that the, whatever I did as a child, because society is telling me, oh, you didn't know, you, 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 you didn't understand. No, stop it. Because a lot of you 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds, you know the difference between right and wrong. And I'm sick and tired of talking about this every single day. I'm done. Okay. So let me just do a little more pushback, because you and I are falling on the same side on this one. Okay, come on, push back. Let's go. Okay, so, you know, there is that argument that your brain is not fully developed until you're in your mid-20s, so for one thing. Another thing is, um, if you commit a crime as a young person, should that be something that stays with you and that derails you for the rest of your life? No. 
see, that's the thing. No, it shouldn't derail you. No, like um, one of the biggest problems that we've had in our society is we've had whether it's a teen or an 18 or 19 year old get in trouble for selling drugs or get some type of crime on the record. And so now they're underemployed and underhoused the entire life. No, we do need to have a better path for those that have made mistakes in the past. But just because you've made mistakes in the past doesn't mean that we should erase those things. You did it. Yes. And see, that's where I would fall as well. It's I think those should be under consideration when you're doing the sentencing scoring or when when a judge is determining a sentence, you use the sentencing score as a guideline, but you take in other factors. I mean, you, a judge ultimately still has discretion, I would imagine. Sure. Uh, and, and, and I think that you can take other factors into the case. The thing that I'm opposed to is just saying blanket. We're not going to use juvenile crime in any of your sentencing scores. With the exception of murder and sex crimes. And that's the part that I have issue with. But I can see an argument made where you don't uh, – I mean there are some cases where there would be an exception. It would be like, okay, this person is really uh, – I can't. Even I can't. Because, because what the judge is saying, he is saying that the likelihood of a young white boy getting caught up in the juvenile criminal justice system is less than it is for a young black boy. Therefore, because more young black men end up in juvenile uh, justice system, they should have their sentences, uh, they should have those crimes not considered while they're adults. The problem is, did you then choose to commit another crime? Right. This judge obviously did not commit a crime as an adult, hence why he is a judge, right? You, you don't solve the problem by ignoring what happened to yes. someone who did get caught. That I agree. Right? Yes. I, I, I don't quite see the logic of it. Yeah, I think, I think again, there's so many things that, that they're trying to address to deal with the disproportionality, but some of these ideas just fly against the face of just common sense. I, one of the things that I've shared with you guys— I just said it recently. Chef heard me say it this morning, and I'm going to keep saying it again. In my household, and when I was younger, my dad used to tell me, you got to be two to ten times better. You can't expect to get away with some things that you might see others do, right? And so you're right. There is a problem with things being applied disproportionately. No doubt about it. There's that problem. But we as a society, especially the youngsters that are coming up, you don't have time to live your life based on that. You better do the right things or else. Life yeah. is hard enough. Yeah. There are how many I mean, of my brothers and sisters are doing the right thing and are still struggling to make ends meet right now? So There's some honest people. You go to work every day, you work hard, and you still about to be unhoused because you can't afford it. Yeah. Hey, life ain't fair, y'all. So that's three of us all in agreement on this one. That's weird. That's a bad idea. <laughs> that's weird. Why are we all agreeing? Okay. Chef, I even thought you was going to come in with something different. No. <laughs> Sometimes you got to call him out, you Sam. <laughs> Rachel C. has a question for me. Is Ursula white? I'm not sure why that question is being asked, but I'm half Filipino, half German. So I'm, I guess, half Caucasian. I don't know. In case anyone was asking, <laughs> wondering. No. Okay. All uh, right. Still ahead. All right. We're going to make a phone call, y'all. Are we family?
It's time to call somebody up on their birthday. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but we're going to call her. And next, you guys are going to be hanging out with us. It's Jenner hanging out with y'all and you know Ursula sometimes on special days I decided and this is a whole family deal right here I decided it is someone's birthday today um she actually told the world how old she turned I don't want to say it I'll let her be able to say it and uh my wife Lillian joins us now happy birthday babe (laughs) thank you happy birthday Lillian Thank you, Ursula. I would be telling everyone my age, too, if I were you, because you look incredible. You want to tell everybody your age, babe? I turned the F word today, so <gasps> I'm 50. Oh, it's the big one. Yeah. Oh, the that's big wh- one. Oh, okay, that's why. Yeah. But don't you feel, turning 50, I know for a lot of people it can be depressing, but for me it was like, you know what? I feel accomplished. I feel like this is a, a how are you feeling? I, at first, the number just sounds scary, uh, and I don't know what 50 is supposed to feel like, but I mean, if I had to put an age, like a number on it, I'd say I still feel like I'm in my late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still feel good, and I just, I was, I wrote a little post. Um, I just look back, and I appreciate all these years. You know, it's exactly. just got me to this point, and... You know, there's there's losses, there's wins, and you just appreciate those all all along the way, and it, it brings you to this point. I'm glad you brought up wins. And when you bring up wins, who what would you say has been one of your biggest wins in your life? Oh, my gosh. Jesus. Oh, it's got to be G. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, well, um... Uh, other than your surprise, that's all you're getting for your birthday, because we, we did do a surprise. Well, you guys went to Vancouver, B.C. Yeah. Yeah. Pulled off a surprise, Ursula. Pulled it off. Huge. You, you want to go ahead and tell her about the, the surprise, for how, how it went down? Well, I thought this whole time we were renting a house in Bellevue and uh, just going to hang out. I had no idea what we were doing, so I would ask G, like, what should I pack? I was like, should I pack a parka? And he would just get annoyed with me. Like, no, we're just going to Bellevue. (laughs) I didn't know. That's the most stressful part is the packing. But once we got past that, my friends came to the house and they were playing music and they had a bunch of big head Lillians and were dancing around. And that just started our trip to Canada, which I've been telling you I wanted to go. So um, it's been so long since I went, and oh, he, so they cool. had it all planned out. Oh, yeah, beautiful. We had such a good time, such well, a good time. As long as we're all family and this is a big year for you and a big celebration, and, and, and since G put you on the spot, and I'm going to put G on the spot, <laughs> what is something that you can tell us about G that maybe our listeners don't know and that makes about him G? so endearing to you? Yes. I just love how he loves his kids. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that was really important to me. Like when we first met, he would uh, he brought up his kids and he talked about his kids and bragged about his kids. And I just I just love that because 
that's foundational point for me is just family. Yes. And that says a lot a whole lot about anything else. You know, they say it's how you treat your parents or your mother. But for me, it's how you treat your kids. Yeah. I love that. So, uh, pretty yeah. good. I like to say, I like to think I'm a pretty good husband too. You know. <laughs> oh, you're. Yeah, we're just we're husband. just we're wondering if he's in trouble because uh, it, we've been doing this show for four years now. This is the first time he's called you on his birth on your birthday. Like, is she in trouble? No. No, he's not. I think it's just because you only turned fifty one. That's true. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. Well, I mean, it's a huge, huge year. <laughs> well, I, I just want you to know that usually, you know, after that, all the uh, birthday stuff, uh, we kind of done. But I just want to let you know, I didn't tell you, we got uh, dinner reservations at 630 today. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, we, got, we got dinner reservations. Yeah, yeah. I thought we were going to have salmon and cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't tell everybody what I like to eat every day. Okay, babe. Lillian, happy birthday. And yeah, 50 you is so the much. new 30. That's right. It's the truth. I feel like Wel- it. Welcome to the 50s. All right. Love you, babe. Have a good Thank day. You. Love you. Okay. Bye. All right. Birthday's out of the way. 6.30 dinner. That's it. That's all she's getting from me. Coming up next here on the show, I told you, you don't make promises in the morning that you can't fulfill at night. <laughs> Dinner at 6.30, sleep by 8.30. Coming up next here on the Gene Ursula Show, Matt Markovich is going to join the show to explain what new law could pass in the next 15 days. This is Gene Ursula.